If you have your Bibles, turn to that passage uh, that Neil just uh, read for us in Luke chapter 12. If you would, turn there please, Luke chapter 12. And I appreciated Neil's prayer as he did pray over this passage that is, is challenging. It's uh, challenging to understand. But once we wrap our minds around it, it is filled with incredible, incredible truth and hope. But let's look at this passage as we continue our journey through Luke. If you're our guest today or been with us a few times, I want you to know that we're walking through this wonderful, wonderful gospel of Luke. And it's been a blessing to my heart, a challenge to my heart. And I know for many of you it's been the same. I pray it'll be that today for us. Well, let me ask you as we start here, if you've ever had this kind of experience, have you ever thought you knew someone or were acquainted with them, but on occasion you heard them say something or do something that caused you to see them in a totally new light? And from that moment on, you never quite looked at them the same. Ever had that experience? I was thinking about that this week, and I remembered something like that that happened when I was 10 years old. And it's a, it's a moment that's just kind of emblazoned in my mind. It was a, a winter night up in Indiana, and I was stretched out in my favorite place that evening, stretched out on the floor in front of our black and white television, having the nice warm air of the uh, Ziegler oil furnace blow over me. It, it heated our entire house, uh, sort of. <laughs> the front room, it really heated. But I was stretched out there watching television, and my brother Lonnie, who's about 13, came walking into the room, and he was completely dressed up in a sport coat, tie. I mean, he looked so snappy. And I said, where do you think you're going? And he looked at me uh, and said, in a very condescending way, as I remember, he said, I'm going to make a speech. And, of course, now this is my brother. I know very well. We you know, shared bunk beds back there. Uh, I, I, I said, sure you are. He said, I am. And my dad had his hat and car keys and going out the door. And he said, they're having a contest down at the Optimus Club. And if you go just make a speech, you can win a trophy. And I remember just laughing as I was lying there on the floor, laughing. About two hours later, my brother came in the front door. He had the biggest trophy you've ever seen in his hand. And he kind of walked over to where I was lying there on the floor and looked down at me, as I recall, with a rather smug smile. said, do you believe me now? And he had gone and made a speech at the Optimus Club, had won a trophy, and I want you to know from that moment on, he was hooked. He got into speech club, debate club. He got onto the radio station at the, uh, locally and at the high school. He went on college majors in speech, got a doctorate in speech. 
has been a speech professor now for about 40 years. I think he knew what he was doing, okay? <laughs> but I remember when he came home with that trophy, I do remember I never looked at him quite the same. This, this fellow that I had known all my life, and we wrestled together, played ball together, argued together, I just never looked at him quite the same because of what he said and what had happened in that moment. Well, I want you to know that's the kind of moment that's taking place here in the life of Jesus. Now, if you look at the passage, Jesus has been teaching his disciples and he has just come to a place where he's talked about when he is going to come back. He's, he's talking about a second coming. They don't understand that, of course, at this time. But he's talking about a coming in the future, and there will be the judgment, and then there will be an, the establishment of the kingdom. And he talks about there will be a separation of people, those he knows and they enter the kingdom. Those he does not know, and they won't enter the kingdom. But it's what he says next that startles them and changes their whole understanding about his ministry. He says, I've come to make that division not just in the future, but he says, I've come to the earth and my ministry right now is going to bring that kind of division. What Jesus says clarifies some misconceptions that his disciples had about his ministry in that day. And friends, this morning... It needs to clarify perhaps some misconceptions we may have about our Lord and His ministry. And we may have those misconceptions this morning. The misconception was that Jesus had come to earth to bring peace and unity. Well, why would not they believe that? Because He's the fulfillment of Isaiah's prophecy, and Isaiah said that he is the Prince of Peace. And they had already heard stories, no doubt, about the night of his birth and the angels singing, Glory to God in the highest and on earth, peace, goodwill toward men. And if you were to go out and ask people about Jesus Christ, Today, Just go out and ask them what Jesus is about. What, what is Jesus all about? I assure you that most people can say, well, Jesus is about peace. He's, he's, a, he's the great teacher of peace. And he's about bringing people together. He's the, the great unifier. He brings unity. You would absolutely hear that response. And Jesus would say to that view about him that that is absolutely wrong. It's absolutely wrong. 
Jesus himself said that in his ministry, he did not come to bring peace and unity, but rather he came to bring fire and division. That's what Jesus said about himself and his ministry. He said, do not think that I have come and I am bringing by my coming peace and unity. That is not what is happening. He said, my coming is bringing fire and division. My friends, we need to understand something this morning. From the lips of our Lord, and it is true until this very moment, the most divisive person in the history of mankind is Jesus of Nazareth. He is the king of division. And that's why I want us to think about this morning. Listen to him. He describes himself as the king who divides. He says he's going to divide by a fire and division that he will bring. Now, notice what Jesus said. Hope I have your attention now. The Lord has certainly had mine all week. Jesus says this, and it is true of Jesus. And we need to understand it and embrace it if we want to embrace the real Jesus. And my friends, the only real Jesus, the only historical Jesus is the Jesus of this book. And what he said it is a terrible thing to put words into Jesus' mouth that he did not speak. And it is a terrible thing to take words out of Jesus' mouth that he did speak. Jesus said some stuff. Jesus teaches here that he came to bring a fiery baptism. I want you to see this. Jesus came to bring a fiery baptism. Look at verse 49. Jesus said, I came to cast fire on the earth and wood that were already kindled. I came to cast fire on the earth and wood that it were already kindled. Now you can be sure when Jesus said this, if anyone was drifting off, their heads went up. I hope that'll happen here if anybody's drifting off. <laughs> heads up. Jesus said he was coming to bring a baptism of fire. And he said he longed, he longed for that baptism to occur. Now, of course, questions are going to come here. Certainly. Questions like this. What is this baptism? What is this baptism of fire? And why did Jesus long for it? He says he longs for this to occur. What's the answer to those questions? Where's the answer found? Well, the answer's found in the Word of God. We find the right answer by comparing Scripture with Scripture. And the answer to what Jesus is talking about is 
found in the announcement that was made by his own personal announcer. Now, who was the personal announcer of Jesus? John the baptizer. John the baptizer. He's Jesus' forerunner, you remember? And it's very interesting. There's only one statement that John the Baptist, John the baptizer makes that all four Gospels record that John made this statement about Jesus. You'll find it in Luke. If you'd like to turn back just a few pages, but I'll read it for you. In Luke chapter 3, here we have the announcement of Jesus and his ministry, and it's made in all four of the Gospels of Jesus' life. Account. Verse 16. John answered them all saying, I baptize you with water, but he who is mightier than I is coming. The strap of whose sandals I am not worthy to untie. He will baptize you. Notice that. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. He is saying that he is baptizing with water. Of course, I baptize you with water. It is an, it is an external baptism that demonstrates a, repentance, a repentant heart. But he says, the one who's coming after me, the Messiah... He's coming to bring a baptism that is a baptism of the Spirit by the Spirit. It is the baptism of the Spirit. And it is going to be like a fire that brings an internal cleansing. Fire brings cleansing. This baptism is going to come from the one that John is promising is at hand. And he will come, and by his ministry, he will bring a baptism that is a cleansing fire, not external, but internal and eternal. Now, this was fulfilled completely just a few weeks after Jesus made this statement. And you can look back at chapter 12 now, Jesus made this statement. He's just a few weeks from Jerusalem. He's just a few weeks from the cross. He's just a few weeks from that Passover. And 50 days after the Passover, there is a festival called Pentecost. Penta meaning 50. It is the it is a festival of the early harvest. And 50 days after Jesus' death, burial, and resurrection, we are told this is what happened as those 120 disciples were praying in the upper room. Jesus said, go back and wait for the Holy Spirit, whom I'm going to send. 
And in Acts chapter 2, we read this is what happened. When the day of Pentecost arrived, this is 50 days after the Passover. It's just a week after Jesus' ascension back to heaven. They were all together in one place and suddenly there came from heaven a sound like a mighty rushing wind and it filled the entire house where they were sitting and divided tongues of fire appeared to them and rested on them and they were all filled with, what's the next term? The Holy Spirit. And they began to speak in other tongues, in other languages, as the Spirit gave them utterance. This is the fulfillment of what Jesus is talking about. He says, I long that you will experience this baptism. I'm bringing fire. And I long for you to experience its cleansing power. Because I will finish the work the Father has given me. I will go to heaven and I will send the Holy Spirit who will be with all of you in every place for all time. He will cleanse you completely and he will empower you. This is what Jesus was longing for. Now, question, (laughs) have you experienced this baptism with the Spirit? Have you experienced this? Who receives this baptism, the Spirit? Just special Christians? Only a select few? Who receives this baptism with the Holy Spirit? Well, listen to the Apostle Paul. He says in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 13, that every believer receives this miraculous baptism in their heart of the Holy Spirit where they are cleansed from their sins. They are born again. They are given eternal cleansing and the Spirit of God resides within them. He said this in 1 Corinthians 12, 13. He said, for by one Spirit were you All, all baptized into one body, whether you're Jews or Gentiles, slaves or free. You've all been made to drink of one spirit. What's what's Paul teaching here? Notice, the baptism is by Jesus. The baptism isn't by the Holy Spirit. The baptism is with the Holy Spirit. But the baptizer is Jesus. Just like John the Baptist said. Jesus is the baptizer. It's the baptism with the Spirit. And it's a baptism of every believer being made part of his forever family into one body. Praise God for that. You say, well, I didn't know that I had received this. Well, friends, when you get saved, you get more than you could ever imagine. You start learning of the riches that you've received. You grow in grace and in the knowledge of the Lord. And now do you understand why Jesus longed for this heavenly, fiery baptism to come? Because he wanted his followers 
to know the Spirit of God and His cleansing in their heart. He wanted them to be bonded together by the Spirit. He wanted them to be empowered, to be His witnesses in all the languages of the world. And wherever they would be, He would be with them and they would be with Him. There would be one body. (laughs) You see what Jesus longed for? He said, I long for this. I long that this might come. But now notice, before Jesus can provide, before he can provide that fiery, life-giving baptism, notice, he must himself experience a life-taking baptism. Before he can give this life-giving baptism, he must himself experience a life-taking baptism. Listen to what Jesus says, verse 50. I have a baptism. I'm going to send that baptism I've just described to you. But in order to do that, I have a baptism to be baptized with. And how great is my distress until it is accomplished. Now let's look at this. Jesus said, I have a baptism. What does the word baptism mean? It's just a transliteration of the Greek into English, baptizo. We just transliterate it, not even translate it into English as baptized. But what does baptizo mean? Baptizo means to be dipped or immersed. It's also used to be engulfed by something. A person is baptized. They are engulfed with something. You can be baptized with joy. You're engulfed with joy. You can be baptized with sorrow. You're engulfed with sorrow. And Jesus here is saying there is something that he is going to experience It is an engulfing of him. And he says, it's a baptism that's connected with what he's just talked about, fire. A baptism of fire. What is fire? Fire, yes, represents the cleansing of sin. But most of the time in the Bible, scores of times, fire is a symbol of of judgment on sin. Judgment on sin. And Jesus is saying this, in order for me to provide you the baptism of the Spirit, which cleanses you forever, makes us one forever, in order to baptize you with this life-giving Spirit, I must go through the fiery baptism that awaits me. He must endure a fiery baptism of God's judgment. That's what Jesus is talking about. He says, I have a baptism. There is awaiting me in Jerusalem. And experience of being engulfed with the fire of the judgment of God on sin. 
That's what's ahead of me. Remember what John the baptizer said about Jesus? Behold the Lamb of God who does what? Takes away the sin of the world. How does Jesus take away the sins of the world? He takes it on his own shoulders. And he experiences the judgment of God on our sin. And he carries it away from us. Thank God. But that's what was waiting for Jesus. Jesus is the Lamb of God. And he's going to be offered on the altar, the awful altar of the cross. And there, in the darkness, God the Father will pour out his just wrath on his absolutely just and sinless Son because his Son has accepted our sins to bear them and to pay for them. No wonder the great reformer Martin Luther, as he thought about the cross, said, God forsaken by God, who can understand it? We could never in a billion light years understand what happened on the cross. But friends, you don't have to understand it, but by the grace of God you can believe it. And trust that Jesus Christ, as he cried out, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? He was crying out because he was bearing our sins. And this cross, all of his life, was always before Jesus. The shadow of the cross was on him his whole life. No wonder Isaiah says he's a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. He said what was ahead of him, notice, it distressed him. He said, I am distressed. Look at verse 50. I'm in distress. That word there, soon echo my, means I am gripped by this. I am gripped by what is ahead of me. This baptism by fire. I'm gripped by it. But my friend, we sang this morning, I've decided to follow Jesus. No turning back. No turning back. And the only reason we can sing that song is because Jesus said, I have decided to die for these sinners to save their souls. No turning back. No turning back. Thank God for Jesus who did not turn back. He set his face, the Bible says, toward Jerusalem. He turned deliberately from Galilee. He headed to the cross. He knew what was ahead. It was a distress upon him. He said, I'm in distress until this is accomplished. You see that word accomplished? That's the same verb that Jesus shouted out from the cross. It is finished. He said, I am gripped by this baptism. I am gripped by what I must do until it is finished. What courage. 
want devotion to his father's will. This was his father's will. His mother and his brothers begged him to turn back. Do you remember this? His own mother and his brothers begged him to turn back. But he would not do it. Because it was his father's will. I came across a poem this week called The Night of Bethlehem. Not N-I-G-H-T, night, but the night of Bethlehem, K-N-I-G-H-T. Listen to this. There was a night of Bethlehem whose wealth was tears and sorrows. His men at arms were little lambs. His trumpeters were sparrows. His castle was a wooden cross on which he hung so high. His helmet was a crown of thorns whose crest did touch the sky. Jesus is our knight in shining armor. He would not turn back. My friend, now listen, he hated and abhorred what was ahead of him. He hated it so much that he poured out his heart to the Father in Gethsemane's garden. The Bible says he sweat drops of blood. That if angels had not come to minister to him, he would have not even survived the garden. And he cried out to his father, if there is a possible way, let this cup pass from me. He so abhorred, not the pain of the cross, not the mockery, but what he would become, that which his soul as only God can detest sin. That's how Jesus detested sin. And on the cross, he would become sin. And with incredible courage, even though he cried out to the Father, how did he end his prayer? Listen to me, my friend. The greatest prayer of faith anyone can pray. Nevertheless, not my will, but what? Thy will be done. Don't for a moment let anybody ever tell you to pray, not my will, but thy will be done. Is not praying the word of faith. You cannot have more faith than Jesus of Nazareth. And in faith and in complete surrender to his father who he knew was altogether love. He said, not my will, thy will be done. He embraced it. He embraced the cross. Why? You know why? Because he could see beyond the cross. What did he see behind, beyond the cross? What was it that Jesus saw beyond the cross that made him embrace the cross? He saw, are you ready? Joy. Joy that we could never imagine. Joy. What joy? This joy. Hebrews 12, 2. Looking unto Jesus, the founder and the perfecter of our faith, who for the 
joy that was set before him endured the cross, even though he despised the shame, and he's seated at the right hand of the throne of God. What did Jesus see? What did he see? I'll tell you what he saw. And he experienced it in a microcosm just a few days before he's crucified. This is what he saw. We're told in John chapter 12, some men came to see him. They were not Jewish men. They're Gentile men. As far as we know, the first Gentile men to come and request an interview with Jesus. We're not told whether Jesus granted the interview or not. But when Jesus was told, these men who are Gentiles have asked to see you, and Jesus saw these men from a far off country, do you know what he said? Here's what he said, John 12, verse 27. Now is my soul troubled. And the word troubled here means shuddered. The cross is upon him. And what shall I say? Father, save me from this hour. But for this purpose, I have come to this hour. Do you see his distress? Do you feel his distress? But listen to his faith. Father, glorify your name. And then a voice came from heaven. I have glorified it and I will glorify it again. And then just a few sentences later, later Jesus said this. He said, and I... When I am lifted up from the earth, I will what? Draw all people to myself. And he said this to show what death, what kind of death he was going to die. He was going to be lifted up between heaven and earth so that he could bring heaven and earth together. Holy God, rebel sinners, brought together by the Son of God who would satisfy God and would be a substitute for sinners, He would make the way open so that sinful men and women like you and me can come back to God and be accepted, not in our own righteousness, but in the perfect righteousness of Christ. Knowing that what He did on the cross He did it for us, and He said, it is finished. Jesus saw something. He saw His Father glorified, and He saw people redeemed. He saw millions, hundreds of millions, no doubt billions of people from all the people groups of the world, through all the ages, all being restored back to Eden, all being restored back to the garden, all coming back to once again live in paradise with God forever. But the only way that could happen is if He went to the cross, the rugged tree, and He Himself would become the tree of life. That's the only way back. The only way back to God is the way God has made. And that is through His Son, the Prince of Life, who gave Himself for you. And my friend, listen to me. This is the gospel. 
that door is open for you. I don't care what you've done. I don't care who you are. I don't care how bad your sin. My Savior paid it all. And if you believe and trust in repentance of your sin and trusting Him alone, you're saved. You can come back. You're His own forever. Jesus died to unite people into a heavenly family. That's what He came to do. Jesus came to create a family, a spiritual family, baptized by the life-giving presence of God, sent by the Savior who died in their place and rose and is seated in heaven. Jesus did that to create a family. But now notice, in doing that, he would divide families. Jesus said that he would produce family division. Verse 51, do you think I have come to give peace on earth? No. I tell you rather division. For from now on, in one house there will be five divided, three against two, two against three. They will be divided, father against son, son against father, mother against daughter, daughter against mother, mother-in-law against her daughter-in-law, and daughter-in-law against her father-in-law. Friends, what is he saying? He brings division. There's only one way for there to be unity. There's only one way, and that's Jesus. And without him, there is no unity. Actor Jim Carrey, some of you know him. He was interviewed on 60 Minutes a few years ago. And he was asked about his faith. And he said, I'm a Buddhist. I'm a Muslim. I'm a Christian. I'm whatever you want me to be. It all comes down to the same thing. Well, from his statement, someone might say that Jim Carrey was perfectly typecast for his role in the movie Dumb and Dumber. That's dumb. It's, it's worse than dumb. Are you telling me that Jesus Christ died on the cross for nothing? You're telling me that God sent His only Son into the world? But it doesn't make a difference what you believe, my friend. That would make God a monster. There is only one way to God. It's God's way. We do not create our way. God tells us how to come to Him. And He so loves us, we can come to Him through His Son, Jesus Christ. That He so loved us, He gave His Son, 
that whoever believes in him will never perish, but have what? Everlasting life. This is the testimony. There is life, and life is in Jesus. He that has the Son of God has life, and he that does not have the Son of God does not have life. The wrath of God is abiding on him right now. You are either a believer in Christ and you're blessed, or you're an unbeliever in Christ and you're cursed, and God's judgment is hanging over your head, and only his goodness keeps him from exacting it on you right now. There is no such thing as neutrality. Jesus did not come for take it or leave it. He did not come that you make up your mind. whether Oh, if you want somebody else, that's okay. Jesus said, Jesus said, I am the way. I am the truth. I am the life. And no one comes to the Father except by me. By Jesus, there's a door. And anyone can come in that door and experience eternal life. But my friend, he is the only door. There was one door into the ark of Noah. And there's one door into the ark of salvation. And that door is Jesus of Nazareth. Come on in. Don't die with people who mock and laugh. They mocked and laughed in Noah's day. And then God shut the door. Doors open. You better enter the door before God shuts it. Jesus is divisive. He's the king of division. My friend, there's a reason we say B.C. and A.D. Jesus divides time itself. And Jesus divides families. My friend, how wonderful it is to have a family united in faith. And some of you know that blessing. Oh my Lord, what a blessing. One of the greatest blessings of my life was to see over the years. Every one of my family. Growing up, my mom, my dad, my brother, my brother Lloyd, my aunts and uncles, cousins, by grace of God, me, come to Jesus. Oh, it's an awful thing to have a divided family. Divided over Jesus. And some of you here, you pray and you pray and you pray and you keep on praying. Keep on praying for your family, your whole family to be united in Jesus. But some of you here have known the heartache because of Jesus in your family. The strangest thing in the world, the greatest thing that happened to you became the worst thing that some people imagined could happen to you. You were so united and now you're so divided. Why? You're the same person, but see, you're not the same person because you say you have Jesus. And they don't. 
couple years ago, I was in India teaching some church planters. <laughs> you want to be humbled? Go from suburban United States and teach church planters in the slums of India. You'll see real greatness. And it ain't you. One young man that I was teaching, I asked him to tell me about his journey. And he said, you know, I'm working so hard. I want to be a full-time pastor all the time. But I've got to pay my father back. I said, what do you mean? He said, oh, my father became so angry. And he is so angry that I became a Christian a few years ago. That he said I had to pay back every dollar ever expended on raising me. And I'm working, and I'm working, and I'm going to pay that debt because I love my father, and I want him to know that God loves him. The only God, Jesus, loves him. Can you imagine being in the presence of someone like that? It's a joyful privilege to suffer for Jesus. What did Paul say? It has been granted to you not only... To believe, but it's been granted to you for the sake of Christ to suffer for his sake. I wonder if that's our attitude. Can I stop here just a moment? You say, well, who's going to stop you? <laughs> Is that your attitude about persecution? I want to ask you, are you a victim or a victor? Which are you? I can't imagine where we ever got the idea. Where did we ever get the idea that we should gripe and complain and send off the most angry posts and say the most anger-filled statements against people who are persecuting us or a system that's persecuting us when if it's persecution for Christ's sake, it is a privilege. Are you going to be a victim all your life or a victor? Make up your mind. Because I'm telling you, the time is here. The time is here. And people who have a victim mentality are going to live their lives in bitterness and never experience the joy of the Lord and they'll never reach people for Jesus Christ. But when you count it a privilege to endure a little persecution for the one who endured the spikes for you, now that's being more than a conqueror through him who loved Christ. Through Christ, we're more than victors. My friend, you need to examine every email. You need to listen to every one of your conversations. You may look at your Facebook post and see if it's the words of a victor or a victim. That all wasn't in my notes, but... <laughs> my friend, listen. We're on the winning side. Have you read the end of the book? It's going to be okay. We need to have in our hearts what Henry 
Wadsworth Longfellow had come in his heart when his son was wounded in the Civil War and his wife had burned to death a few months earlier. And on Christmas Day, he heard the bells. And he writes this, And in despair I bowed my head, There is no peace on earth, I said, For hate is strong, and it mocks the song of peace on earth, goodwill to men. And then pealed the bells more loud and deep. God is not dead, nor does he sleep. The wrong shall fail, the right prevail. With peace on earth, goodwill to men. My friend, the wrong's going to fail. And the right's going to prevail. Why? Because Jesus is coming back to set things right. And he's coming with another fiery baptism. And I close here. But please do not close your minds or your Bibles either. Jesus is coming back. And he's bringing a baptism with him. And it's a baptism of fire. Listen to the word of the Lord. The word of the Lord from St. Paul. 2 Thessalonians chapter 1 verse 6. Since indeed God considers it just to repay, repay with affliction those who afflict you. And to grant relief to you who are afflicted as well as us. When is this going to happen? When the Lord Jesus is revealed from heaven with his mighty angels in flaming fire, inflicting vengeance on those who do not know God and on those who do not obey the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ, they will suffer the punishment of an eternal destruction away from the presence of the Lord and from the glory of his might. When he comes on that day to be glorified in his saints. To be marveled at among all who have believed. Because our testimony to you was believed. My friends, Jesus is coming back. And as the bumper sticker says, and boy is he mad. He's coming to make right. He's coming with a baptism. A baptism of fire that will cleanse this earth. And there will be a renewed heaven and renewed earth. And where there is no unrighteousness, it's been burned away. And we have been purified completely. And we will inherit the kingdom. And forever and all eternity, there'll never be another darkness. There'll never be any more sin. But it'll be eternal light in the kingdom of light with the Lamb as the glory of it all. Friend, there's only one safe place from the fiery baptism that's coming. Where is that one safe place? You've got to run. You've got to flee to the place where the fire has already fallen. You want to be safe from the fire that's coming? Then go to the place where the fire has already fallen. True story. Well, over 140 years ago, 
wagon train was going across the great plains of our country headed out to California. Numbers of wagons. And the leader of that wagon train saw in horror coming over the horizon a curtain of smoke. And he knew what it was. A prairie fire being driven by intense wind. No way around it. No way through it. People saw it and began to shriek. And then he gave a strange order. He ordered some men to go behind the last wagon and start a fire on the ground. They thought he was crazy, but they start, he started a fire. They started a fire on the ground. And it started another prairie fire that started burning and sweeping behind them. And then the leader of the train said, get the wagons into that burnt grass. And they all went into that burnt grass behind them and that roaring sheet of flame from that fire came up to the very edge and then it died. Why? There was nothing more to burn because it had already been burned. My friend, you want to escape the fire to come? Then you better run to the place and the person where the fire fell already on Jesus Christ. And you stand in Him. You hold on to Him who has endured the fire of the wrath of God. And you'll never have to fear that fire ever. Why? Because Jesus endured His baptism. The fire of judgment was poured out on Him so that we can stand in Him in peace. What a Savior. Lord, bless us now that our hope might be on nothing else than Jesus' blood and righteousness. Oh God, I pray. I pray sinners and saints who have drifted, all of us, Lord, will just flee to Christ, cling to Christ in total absolute belief that here and in him there is nothing to fear from the wrath to come because the wrath has been poured out on Jesus. Thank you, Lord Jesus. Thank you that you did not turn back. May we be devoted not to turning back because you did not turn back. We bless your name. And, oh, Lord, help us now. Help us to have no other confidence, no other object of our faith than Jesus Christ and Him crucified. I pray in His name and God's people said, Amen. Amen.